Here, boys and girls, make sure you have your children's bulletin there. Have your own translation, a place you can ask questions. And everyone else, you want to go ahead and just open up your Bible apps there, or take out your Bibles, or use your bulletin, and turn to the very last part of Ecclesiastes. This is it. We've, we've been here since right after Easter. We're finally wrapping it up. Let's see if we can get that to not happen again. There we go. Okay. <clears throat> So we're in this closing part of Ecclesiastes, and he's doing this amazing thing where he's trying to help us see that God himself will hold us accountable for our joy, that that the judgment of God that we hear about so often, that we assume the worst of so often, is actually about our joy, that he wants us to have joy. So in the face of the challenges of life under the sun... What he wants us to do is to stand firm in the joy of God. We saw last week that we're supposed to rebel is actually the command he gave us. To rebel against the fears, to rebel against the insecurities that seek to rule our life. Think about that. He calls us to rebel against those things because they want to rule us. And instead, he wants us to live out our life, even in the slow decline unto death we saw last week. He wants us to live that out anchored in a deep joy that comes from the grace of God. What an amazing thought. And we can have that amazing thought because the gospel makes us into a different kind of people. So here at the very last part of this book, the very last few verses, what he's going to do, he's going to give us the final answer. This is it. Everything has been building up. How do we live under the sun in a world full of broken people and frustrating circumstances? The answer is to still find hope and joy in the grace of God. So with that in mind, let's now look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14, the last few verses of this great book. This is God's Word. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise were like goads. And like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. And so the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is God's Word. Let's go to Him in prayer. Now, Father God, as we come before Your Word this morning, as we come to the end of this book, we ask that You would help us to see it. That You would help us, Lord, to grasp onto the joy that You offer us in Christ. That in the midst of all the frustrations of life, of all the difficult circumstances, of all the things that try to steal our joy, would you give us once again the joy in Christ? Oh, show us truth from this text, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And so, the answers, this text says, the answers to the frustrations of life, it's very simply, it's to walk in the wisdom of God. And that wisdom we're going to see fulfills us and challenges us. So I want to give you a summary of this, kind of a sentence you can remember. Maybe write this down, boys and girls, you might want to put this in your bulletin so you can remember where we're going today. It's this, that the wisdom of grace answers all the frustration. It's a pretty... Pretty bold statement, but as we'll see, after 12 chapters, he makes a very bold statement of what the answer is. So let's see. We're going to see that wisdom pushes us. It pushes us into a joyful fear. It leads to a surprising judgment. So let's look at that. First of all, we call this first part, he kind of shows us what I like to think of as a pushy wisdom. This pastor philosopher here, maybe Solomon, kind of writing under the guise of Solomon, he's, he wants us to see what great care he took to assemble and then present this collection of practical wisdom. And then we get to verse 11 where the text itself, it, it claims to be God's word. Even though, even though it's organized and, and written down by this pastor philosopher, it claims to be God's word. This is just one little example we find throughout Scripture of how inspiration works. That the human authors weren't robots. Somehow the Holy Spirit guided them so that what is written is the Word of God. And it claims to be so. Why do we believe the Bible is the Word of God? Because it says it is. Well, that's circular, yes, but you say the Bible is not the Word of God because you say it's not. That's circular. How come my circular is not as good as your circular? It claims it's the Word of God, and we believe that. See, biblical wisdom is practical. That's why I did that little exercise there. This is very practical. This is not, here, mark the box in your trivia so you can win the game at the next party and impress people. No, this is for your life. It's practical. And he wanted to collect these things to help you grow in that. Because God is interested in our integrity. Or maybe what a different generation might call authenticity. Living out what we actually believe. Or how we live does show what we believe. That's what he wants us to see as he wraps up. Because one of the frustrations in life, especially addressed to God's people, is that we tend to live fractured lives, not whole lives. We tend to believe things, to confess things, but then not live them out. We call it hypocrisy. And it's not just in church world we see this. We're coming up on Advent, and after Advent is New Year. And New Year's resolutions, they're all about what? Trying to get your life to line up with what you say you think is important. And it is for the first three weeks of January. And then maybe not so much, and then February, what? See, that's how God's Word helps us. Wisdom is the message of grace, and in this message of grace, He helps us to bring together what we say we believe and how we actually live so we can walk in integrity or be authentic. That's what He wants us to see as He closes out this book. So look with me at verse 11. Let's walk through this together. Here's what He says. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So we're told here that God's wisdom is is goads and it's nails. A goad is basically an ancient cattle prod. Okay, long stick, sharp metal point, you get the idea of what it's for. God's wisdom is prodding us on to more wisdom. 
You know, if you've ever quoted Scripture to someone in their life to kind of help address their life, you have used Scripture this way as a prod on their life. In my house, my kids hear this a lot. Whenever one of my kids says something mean, perhaps nasty to someone else, and then they say, oh, I was just kidding. They could probably say it right now. They will hear me say, if I overhear it, like a madman shooting firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? Which, of course, you know is Proverbs 26, 18, and 19. I'm goading them on. You don't say I'm joking after you've insulted somebody. No. That's what God's Word does to us. It addresses how we live our life and it pokes us in a better direction. See, Ecclesiastes says God's Word stings like a prod. But it also stabilizes like a nail. Once wisdom gets into our head, it kind of stays there like a nail pounded into a block of wood. So what he's saying is life may be frustrating, but wisdom gives us a prod in the right direction, and then it gives us an anchor we can hold on to. And what is God's wisdom? What has he been trying to get us to see for the last two chapters? God's wisdom is the radical, life-changing message of his grace. It started back when he said, eat, drink, and be merry, because God approves of what you do. And from that moment on, he's been trying to get us to actually believe that God approves us by grace. See, wisdom's kind of pushy like that. It won't let you sit back and say, yeah, I believe in all this, but... No, it prods you. Stop saying but. Believe it. And it gets even more pushy. I mean, verse 12 comes along and it almost says, look, don't read anything but your Bible. I mean, how pushy is that? I heard a comedian say once, you know, I used to think the brain was the most amazing organ in the body until I remembered what was telling me that. You see, for those of you who haven't gotten there yet, it's the brain telling him that, right? So that's what God's Word <clears throat> seems to be doing here. Don't read anything but me. See, but there's more than just that. <clears throat> it's not so much don't learn anything but the Bible. You don't need that learning. This is don't be an under-the-sun person. An under-the-sun person does what? We saw for... Nine and a half chapters. There's no answers. You just keep trying and trying and trying. Don't be that person. Our culture loves open-mindedness, don't they? But not certainty. It's okay to be a seeker, but never a finder. If we claim to have an answer, you're close-minded. That's an exhausting, frustrating way to live. It's like glorifying thirst and saying water's evil. That's what verse 12 is saying. Don't constantly be seeking truth. You have found truth. An open mind is made to shut on what is real. But under the sun says, no, just be open. Just seek. Don't find. See, God's word claims to be true. It claims it's the answer. That feels a bit pushy, doesn't it? I mean, we would be a little slow to say that in conversation. It's, well, that's a little pushy, but God's Word does it. <clears throat> See, it's right here in the middle of all the noise and frustrations in the world when we're tempted to think that we need something more than God's approval to be considered valuable or worthy. 
to this world under the sun that we live and work in, it's right in the middle of those voices that verse 12 comes along and says, look, if you listen to those voices, they will frustrate you and exhaust you and wear you out. It's a weariness of the flesh. But if we hold on to the firmly fixed nail of God's wisdom, the grace given to us that we know is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we will be goaded towards peace and joy in God's approval that He's trying to get us to believe. See, the wisdom of God answers the frustration of life by being pushy towards the truth. And it also does it through a joyful fear. The the wisdom of God is pushy, but the message of His grace also pushes us out of the frustration of life into a more joyful fear. Verse 13 tells us how by giving us the ultimate answer. Let's look at verse 13 together. In case you're curious, verse 13 is the one you need to highlight in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the answer he's been building to for 12 chapters. This is it. He even says so. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. And here it is. You ready? Here's the answer. Okay. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Could there be a more goading and offensive thing to read than a claim to ultimate truth, especially one based in the fear of God? Fear? I mean, it's like 2015. We don't even use that word anymore. When's the last time you heard someone in church world described as God fearing? It's too bad. It's actually a great description that we should bring back. Because to fear God means what? To respect Him. It means to take Him seriously. To confess Him, not just with our mouths, but with our lives. That's what it means to fear God. In the context of Ecclesiastes, especially last week's passage, where we saw that we're accountable to God for our joy, fearing then means living in joy. Isn't that a great way to describe it? You see someone who just is overwhelming you with joy. And you immediately think, that is a God-fearing person. Wow. You see, we Christians, we we have an all-too-common weakness to to say one thing, but but to live another. But, But living in the fear of God is the challenge to be what we confess. That's what it means to fear God. I want to make sure we get this idea of fearing God as like respect. So I want you to think about raising children. I want you to think about how you kind of get to that preteen stage. And, and you know, you're not always going to be there. And so their guidance needs to start being more internal from within them than from external. You standing there saying, no, yes, maybe, ask your mom. You know, no, it needs to be them. So they will get into situations where they will have no doubt. It won't be a matter of ignorance. They will know. My parents really wouldn't approve of this. But they're not here. And that's where respect kicks in. Either they will jump in with both feet and do it because they don't respect their parents. Or they will refrain out of respect for their parents. That's what he's talking about here at the fear of God respecting Him, living in His grace. 
he says, is our good. It's our wholeness. This is a huge point that we miss in our English translations. I want to throw up a different part of verse 13 here on the slide. I want to look at this really specifically. Sometimes the Hebrew language doesn't have all the words that English has, so sometimes they, they, they put in an extra word to help us understand. we got someone up there who can throw this next slide up. There we go. So, so it says in verse 13, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The word duty is not there in Hebrew. A literal translation of what it says is, this is a whole person. So what does it mean to be a whole person? You fear God and keep His commandments. What an amazing point. I mean, this is the answer to the emptiness of life. The vanity of vanities. The emptiness of emptiness. The frustrations of frustrations we've seen repeated throughout Ecclesiastes. This is the answer. You get out of that emptiness by being a whole person under the fear of God. A real relationship where you respect and then obey. See, one who does not fear God looks to other masters and is tossed about by the various frustrations of life. But the one who fears God is a whole person. They live in the steady, steadfast joy and approval that He offers by grace. It really is that simple. After 12 chapters... It's just this simple. I want to make sure we get this. So boys and girls, let's look at your verse 13 as well. Here's how we translated this for the kids so they would get it. It all comes down to this. Here is the answer. Respect God and do what He says. This is how to be a healthy, happy person. It's just that simple. Boys and girls, things are kind of easier at home. There's less crying and less trouble when... You just obey your parents, right? When you just respect them and do what they say. That's what it's like when we respect God. It's just happy. And so for all of us, when we really live out what we believe, when we dive into the joy and approval that He has offered us and been trying to get us to believe for two chapters, when we really jump into that, when we don't deny grace with our lives, That makes us a whole person. Do you believe that? Do do you feel fractured? Do you feel just discombobulated? A great word. Do do you feel busy? Out of place? Like you just can't get your life together sometimes? Like you have no rest? You just can't catch your breath? If that's you, dear Christian... You are confessing faith in God's grace, but you are living in fear of something else. If you want to feel whole, if you want to be whole, respect the God you claim to follow. Be authentic, as a different generation would say. Fear Him and obey Him. We do this all the time. I know God loves me. But, and then we fill in the blank with what we really fear. And so I, and then we confess how we live our lives reflecting what that master wants. We do it all the time, don't we? See, but respect says, you stop, say, no, I will give my allegiance to this master. I will fear God and obey him, even though I am afraid of this. And you do that by anchoring yourself in his grace the message that He approves of you through Christ. And that will steady you in all the junk of life. 
you fear God by really grasping on to the joy that is offered you in the gospel. Because the wisdom of God answers those frustrations by goading us, by giving us a fearful joy, and finally by giving us another surprising judgment. This text goes on, you know, it's not bad enough that God's wisdom is pushy. It's not bad enough that the Bible explicitly tells us to fear God. Now it ends the entire book of Ecclesiastes with judgment? I mean, could there be anything else to turn off people in our culture? But as we saw last week, we Christians think about judgment all wrong. For those of us united to Christ by faith, remember, He has taken the judgment for our sins on the cross. He was found guilty and punished for us. That's what it means to be forgiven. He was crushed for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. By His stripes we were made whole. His righteousness is given to us already. So that kind of judgment is not awaiting us. And so whenever we see these indicators of judgments coming, we don't need to think that. We hold on to the grace that we confess. And that's not just me trying to read that into this text. That's right here in this text. I want to remind you of where we've been. I think I have this up for you on a slide. Remember, a couple chapters ago, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, that started this whole new section. We say, go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved your deeds. Or some translations say what you do. And here in verse 14, we find the exact same word. God will bring every deed into judgment. But guess what? He's already passed the verdict of approval. This is positive for the believer. This is not a negative, oh, judgment's coming. This is, hey, I'm already approved. Judgment's coming. When he gets to tell the world... See, we keep God's commandments because we're so overwhelmed at the gratitude that He has approved our deeds through Christ. Now, the author of Ecclesiastes didn't know it was through Christ. He just knew somehow, by God's grace, He approves us. So what is the judgment in this verse then? Think of the context. What was the final summary statement of Ecclesiastes? What did it say? The secret to being a whole person is what? integrity, being authentic, living out what you say you believe, being whole. That's what this judgment is. It's not about how well we performed, but about what we really believe. Who has our real master been as evidenced by our Christian life? That's the judgment. I mean, God knows if we fear Him or if we fear something else. See, and we need that reminder of judgment because, again, we Christians live fractured lives, right? We find ourselves thinking things like, I know God is good, I know God will take care of me, but this fear is so real that I'm going to organize my life around avoiding it. Some sort of failure, bankruptcy, kids not turning out right, not getting this promotion, whatever it is we want so bad, we're so afraid of not getting it, and so we come to church and we sing our songs that our life is organized around avoiding that failure. But the whole person who lives in the fear of God thinks, I know God is good, I know God will take care of me, but this fear is so real that I have really got to trust Him to walk through it. See, they both confess the fear, and one serves the fear, and one turns around and fears God. 
See, this reminder of judgment is one of those goads that pushes us towards wisdom. That God is going to hold us accountable, not for how well you did, but what did you really believe? I set you free from sins in Christ. What did you really believe? That's the closing of Ecclesiastes. This is the final attempt by this pastor philosopher to get the community of faith, us, to live in grace while wading through all the frustrations of life under the sun. We're surrounded by emptiness. We're surrounded by brokenness in this fallen world. But the wisdom of God comes through, the, through, through grace, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it gives us resources to thrive in the midst of those frustrations. It gives us resources to flourish with joy in the midst of all that junk in life under the sun. See, but we Christians, we leak, don't we? We forget grace. We even refuse to believe that grace is as good as it is. And so Ecclesiastes ends by telling us that judgment awaits us to drive us back to God for wisdom and power to live in grace today. Because we need wisdom to live in grace. We need power to live in grace because we leak, because we're full of fear. In other words... Ecclesiastes ends telling us that we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians tells us at one point that Jesus Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. You see, it is united to Him by faith that we have the power to live in the wisdom we say we believe. This is how good God is. When He challenges us to live in grace, He even says, and do it by grace. I will give you the ability to live in my grace with more grace. Isn't that an amazing thought? He doesn't say, you better straighten up and fly right. No. Recognize you need help and ask for more grace. Grab on to more grace to help you live in grace. Because the grace of God that saves us is the grace of God that sustains us. The answer to the frustrations of the world under the sun, the way to be a whole person, the person you were meant to be before being so broken and messed up by sin, is to live in the grace that you confess. Be who you say you are. A new creature in Christ. A child of God. A beloved child of God. One whom God approves. Remind yourself of that truth in the challenges of life and you will have joy. Memorize God's Word so it can goad you out of fear of these things back into fear of God in the midst of the frustrations. Because the frustration is going to come. But God's grace is there if we grab onto it and dive into it and use it. Dear Christian, Don't just confess these truths. Live in these truths. That's the secret. That's the meaning of life according to Ecclesiastes. He's gone through and he has tried everything. He has tried hedonism. He's tried rampant pleasure of every form. He's tried materialism. He's tried atheism. He went through and showed us how none of these things answer the thirst deep in his heart. And so he comes back and says, I told you it wouldn't work, but what does work? Be a whole person by fearing and obeying God.
So next time, dear Christian, you wallow in defeat, thinking you're a bad Christian, whatever that means, that you don't deserve that kind of grace. You don't deserve to be whole. You don't deserve to be joyful. Look to Jesus Christ bleeding on the cross and remember that you are absolutely right. You are not worthy of this grace. You are not worthy of joy. You are not worthy to be whole. But Jesus Christ has bled and suffered to give you all those things for free because you can't get them. His blood earned it for you. His death has given it to you as a gift. So walk in it. That's fearing God. Be who you confess. Live in that grace. And those of you who you have not yet confessed faith in Christ, you've not yet been united to Him by faith, this is for you as well. The joy and the peace that you want so bad is available in Jesus Christ. The, the, the wholeness of not living a fractured life, the strength to quit being the hypocrite you know you are is available if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're in a church on a Sunday morning, forget everything you grew up with you think church is. Forget all the religious stuff you've been trained in and look to Jesus Christ as the answer to your thirst. And then place your faith and trust in Him and not your works. And you can have this. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and heavenly.